we're excited to bring you a new season of the Just Admit It podcast. But first, a quick note before we get into the episode. We'll be answering listener questions throughout the season, so please submit any questions for our team of experts to podcast at ivywise.com. Thanks for tuning in, and now for the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Semester 5, Episode 5 of our Just Admit It podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the higher ed landscape. I'm Nat, College Admissions Counselor at Ivy Wise. I'm a former Director of Multicultural Recruitment at Skidmore College, and then a Senior Assistant Director of Admissions at NYU and NYU Abu Dhabi. And joining me today is my friend and fellow Ivy Wise counselor, Chris, who's a former Associate Dean of Admissions at Wesleyan University. In this episode, we're going to share some insight on the reach target likely school list and whether or not it is becoming more of a spectrum. What do you think, Chris? Oh, not good to be with you here today. Um, I think it's a really interesting question. The idea of having these uh, very rigid categories um, doesn't really work anymore, not the least of which I think in the current climate, recovery from the pandemic and COVID-19 and how that impacted uh, colleges and universities and the way admission committees go about their business and tr- plan their enrollment. Um, and and uh, there's always art and science involved in that, right? There you can look at historical numbers, you have a sense as an institution of where you play in the marketplace, um, right? And uh, uh, and yet there's also uh, some, some art to that as well and trying to come up with the right number of students to admit to yield your, your target class. And so, so many factors are in flux as colleges and universities go about their business um, that it makes sense to think of this as more of a spectrum rather than clearly defined categories of uh, reach uh, likely in, in target schools. And I think it's helpful to think a little bit about, um, you know, last year and the history there and uh, um, what that looked like uh, for, for various students. Yeah. Point well taken. I think that the landscape trends from not only last year, but, you know, um, all of COVID and, and even coming building into, you know, um, into COVID, the landscape trends, um, they're really important in, in assessing what is going on and kind of this, I don't want to call it a changing landscape because the landscape is, you know, it, it should always be changing and shifting. It shouldn't always be the same, but I think that it's, um, if we look at this, two-year or three-year time window, um, we've probably not seen change like this um, <laughs> in a long time, if, if ever, right? And so um, I think the, the big impetus behind this, this topic was just in hearing people say, um, oh, like I was really lucky I got into my reach or, but most of my friends, you know, they, they only got into their, their, what they call their likelies, right? And no one got in their target. Right. And I I heard that from my colleagues, um, you know, at the independent, other independent schools um, and then also colleagues that were, you know, working with with um, my Ivy West colleagues that were working with students. And so, yeah, it was um, it was a tough year last year, I think, again, you know, because of the pandemic, because of, um, you know, I think that you you talked to you said a really key word there, Christian. um, Chris was it was, you know, the marketplace um, and 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 you're where you are in the market as a school. Um, plays into um, a lot of the decisions that you make as an institution. And, and we're very, very lucky to have you and with all of your experience or multiple decades of experience um, on the college side. So can you tell us how, um, how perhaps the test optional piece 
played into all of this as well. Yeah, I think that was a really interesting part of the uh, of what's going on in the last few years. Um, and as I'm sure a lot of our listeners are aware, as the pandemic hit and um, everybody, regardless of what uh, sort of uh, business you're in, right? Everybody reworked how they do business. Everybody reimagined, um, and uh, and college admission offices certainly had to think about that as well. And when you're trying to yield your class, one of the things you're doing is trying to predict the behavior of 17 and 18 year olds. Um, and as the parent of, of two previous uh, prior 17 and 18 year olds, I can tell you that's really hard. Um, and, and then you throw in the pandemic and, and try to, uh, you know, add that layer of uh, to predict what, how students are going to behave um, became really difficult. Um, the other big factor, as you point out, was, of course, to become test optional. Um, again, as I'm sure our listeners are aware, testing was canceled. Testing was hard to find. Students couldn't get an SAT or an ACT exam date. Um, and yet they were still applying to colleges. And so schools rightfully um, adopted a variety of different test optional policies uh, for that, for the duration of, of two or three years of the pandemic, continuing with what they thought were going to be, you know, uh, temporary or experimental policies. Wesley, we were test optional for about a decade before the pandemic. Um, and so, uh, you know, we were, I think, more experienced as our other longtime test optional schools. We were we had maybe a little more insight in what that lack of testing might mean. We were used to seeing no testing with, with a, a pretty significant portion of our applications. Um, and uh, I think colleges and universities really um, did the right thing, again, in allowing students uh, the, the flexibility to not have standardized testing as part of their portfolio, given the, the challenges. But I think schools also weren't all on uh, sure how to handle uh, that different information that they were dealing with. Notion about, you know, uh, optional schools, right, that if you, you know, that that if your scores are below their medians, you know, that's not a school to submit to. And that's that's a good starting point for uh, test optional advice. You know, at Wesley, and we were just very used to not seeing scores and not worrying about it and, and making our decisions based on everything else in the application. Uh, but I think for first year schools, there was this nagging question right uh, in the back of their minds of, uh, of what those scores might have been and what does it mean that the student hasn't submitted them. Um, it's, it's a habit that's hard to get away from, despite the, the lack of opportunity that students had in testing. Um, so test optional certainly played a role in that, but it also made reach schools likely schools, um, right, or target schools, and it made some target schools likely schools for students when they didn't have to submit testing of say 1500 to a Wesleyan University uh, and it made them a competitive applicant. And so colleges had more applicants to sift through. Some may have found that dive more deeply into the personal side of the application um, and others may have acted more cautiously. And of course, those are the things you only know when you're in the room. So there was a clear influence of test optional policies uh, impacting how how students were able to view their likelihood of being admitted to schools. Continue to see that. Um, I think we also continue to see schools maintaining their test optional policies, which longtime college admission officer I think is a great thing. Students should have the ability to put their best foot forward to decide for themselves what best represents their academic achievement to date and their academic potential moving forward. And if they don't see their testing as part of that, I think it's awesome. They have more flexibility in that regard now. Um, but certainly one of many factors played into that, that spectrum shifting. It's so awesome that we're talking about this and I so appreciate your view. Um, and I often, I think that your view is 
and your um, your perspective, it's it's often not illustrated enough, right? And I and I kind of only think about the the, the people that have been talking about this and and seeing it from you know more of the student side or you know should I say the consumer side, um, having left the the college side you know over ten years ago. Um, and then being more on the counseling side, not only at Ivy Wise, but also consulting with various independent schools as well over the over the last few years. Um, I think that it it often, you know, I I and I, and I think I'm I'm you know partly part of the not, I wouldn't say problem, but <laughs> I oftentimes don't share your perspective enough, and in, in that it was the right thing to do for colleges to go test optional during the pandemic, especially that first year. Um, the view that I have often said and, and talked about and shared and illuminated is that there really was little choice in given how colleges operate as businesses behind the scenes, right? They, there was a fear that there might not be any kids applying to college, right? When the pandemic mm -hmm. hit. And so there was, um, yeah, I think I've always talked about it. Like, yes, it, it was the guise of, of like, yes, we know that there's a lot that you need to do. Um, and testing doesn't need to be one of those. And, and you're right. Like there was so many tests that were canceled and stuff. So it was the right thing to do. And I so appreciate hearing that and, and even, you know, um, promoting that because I haven't said that enough. I've, I've really been more of from the lens of like, yeah, but it, you know, it, it was, it was the right thing to do, but it also helped colleges, right. Cause it also expanded, um, you know, exponentially their, their applicant pool, they were able to become more you know, selective. Right. And then in turn, they were able to, you know, also raise their yield by accepting more in, in early decision. And so that everyone's bond rating went up after i shouldn't say everyone but a lot of people's bonds rating a lot of colleges the highly selective colleges raise their bond rating um not to mention you know their endowments endowments have grown more in the last three years than any other three-year period since 1983. a great point about um how that impacted selectivity right which is sort of kind of the, right. the focus of the podcast today and um is you know just you know how hard it is to get into to colleges these days yeah. and how hard it is to get into specific colleges um, and, and, you know, applications. Uh, we didn't know how many kids would be applying to our respective schools. We didn't know if students would be taking the year off for sure. Just saying, taking my gap year, no questions asked, applying in a year when things perhaps may be more normal. Um, and yet students did apply to colleges. And I think they kind of um, behave the same way colleges did, which was to say, I'm going to do this now and I can always ask for a gap year or I can always reapply if I don't like how this works out. Right. Um, and so selectivity really changed. And I think we're, we're seeing um, a little bit of a, of a, of a return to normalcy, if you will, which is to say, you know, um, Stanford is still a reach for everybody. Right. Yeah, uh, right. Um, but uh, uh, I think we're seeing a little bit of a return to normalcy as schools have become more understanding of how test optional works in their particular processes and students have um, come out of this uh, in, a, in a place that feels more normal as far as applying to colleges. They can visit campuses. They can put boots on the ground. I think that kind of leads us a little bit into the crafting of the list and, and how that happens. And one of the things I'll just say right off the, the bat is in understanding um, how an individual student fits into the, to the bigger picture, 
uh, of, of selectivity and, um, you know, in, in crafting a list that makes sense uh, and talking about early decision strategies are all part of how, you know, kind of navigate this murkier landscape of, uh, of reach, target, and likely. I, I do, um, one of the things you said before I thought was really interesting about students only got into their reach and their likely schools. I think that's a great example of, first of all, students kind of knowing where they fit, right? And, and if we're talking about your Ivy Wise clients there, those are people who got good advice and they understood where they fit in the bigger picture to that, that the target schools were, um, and everybody's a target school for somebody, but we're really kind of hedging their bets on those kids. They knew would have other options, right? There are some students who come through your pipeline and you're like, I know this kid is going to Princeton or Stanford or Yale or Harvard, but we're going to take them anyway because they've earned it and we'll take our best shot at yielding them. Um, and obviously, you know, likely schools make a lot of sense why, why students were admitted to those, but those target schools, I think, we're hedging their bets a little bit about those students who they would say, yeah, fits our profile, but fits our competitors profiles also. And I'm less uh, confident about yield in this environment with the pandemic and the test optional. And again, as we emerge from that, I, I hope that there will be a little bit more predictability with those middle road schools, those, those target schools. You know, Chris, you brought up something that was a really good point. Again, often, you know, not, illustrated enough um, is that Wesleyan was test optional before the pandemic, you know, and, um, and I saw Wesleyan over the, over the course of the pandemic, make really good decisions with a wholeheartedness towards test optional. Um, but I can say from experience that that wasn't the case um, for the majority of the schools that were using test optional. Um, and, and, and so let me give you an example. So like that first year of test optional, like we have, you know, you look at Penn and you look at Georgetown, two really good cases um, where Penn enjoyed, you know, above a, a 20% increase in applications. But then if you look at the students who they accepted, right, the, the acceptance rate was much higher for those that had a test score. In fact, 76% of their enrolled class had a test score. Um, and then if you look at Georgetown, right, 92% of their enrolled class had a <laughs> test score, right? And so there's not an equal playing field in terms of how colleges were using the test optional piece, right? I think a lot of them were, um, were really benefiting from the, you know, the, the larger application numbers, but then really still, I mean, there was not much transparency about, um, and I think that people have, you know, through experience, again, working with an Ivy Wise counselor, you, you're able to break down and, and say like, hey, like you're from a wealthy background, parents are educated, um, they, they need 50% of their enrolled student body to have a test score, right, for, for one of the ranking methodologies. And so they're gonna expect a test score from you um, where, you know, a first gen student, uh, maybe, or from a, the lowest socioeconomic bracket, um, they may not. And so it, it's no, it's not a coincidence that schools have never been more diverse, right? We're seeing much more diversity, um, in ED classes and, and also, you know, first year class composition. And so they're able to use, they being the colleges are able to use this test optional piece to enroll kids, which is an amazing thing that they wouldn't have been able to take before because of that 
prohibitive test score, right? And so again, this all goes back to that list building. And I think what we're what we'll eventually talk about is like it, it depends on who you are and 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 your demographic and and so many factors in terms of what you know what you can consider a a reach, a likely or a target. So um, th this is a really important point. It's it's very nuanced, and so I hope that our listeners, I know our listeners, are are able to pick up on it. But yeah, it's it's great that we have your experience, Chris, because Wesleyan, I think, is one of the very very few schools that is really still and, and was reading kind of authentically, wholeheartedly test optional, where most schools in our landscape were using test optional to really help themselves as, as universities. And, and I don't blame them, right? This is the market position. You have to kind of maintain your market position. So, um, and and so the, the, let's, let's keep on going before I, you know, Stay in a stay on 1.2 long. Right. Let's make it a test optional podcast. Yeah. Did you did one of those? <laughs> so, yeah. And this is all, let's remember that we're, we're talking about this, the landscape, because it's really important to understand how the list building and how the, the categorization of the list um, is changing. Right. So, Chris, do you want to want to talk a little bit more about, you know, your example of, of uh, well, like you said before, Stanford's a reach for everyone. Right. But um, let's talk about more schools and not just the, the Uber selected schools as well. Right. Sure. I mean, um, there are, there are a variety of things that, uh, make a school a reach, uh, a likely or a target, uh, for, for a particular student, but let's talk a little bit about how you arrive at that list. Um, uh, and, and first and foremost, um, you know, students should be applying to schools that they're excited about that have the academic program, that have the social community, that have the location, uh, whatever it might be, that's really drawing them. Um, students should be building a list that reflects what they are excited about learning, what they're excited about doing, where they can envision themselves, um, uh, where they where they felt the vibe, right, when they were on a campus. I mean, I think that's a, a, a totally legitimate um, reaction for students. I, I got out of the car, I walked around, and I don't know what it was exactly, but man, this place is great, right? And Tangible, so right? students should be building their lists based on schools they're excited about, and they figure out if they're excited about them by doing research. Um, so uh, your Ivy Wise counselor can make a variety of suggestions about schools to look at, um, depending on um, the information that you share about the type of school, the type of academic program, um, maybe even, you know, desire to go on to a particular type of graduate study afterwards. We can really help you generate a list of schools to research, but we can't research them for you. And that really becomes the student's responsibility. Um, and so they need to, you know, they need a starting point, a jumping off point, uh, recommendations from, from their parents, from their parents' friends. Where are the kids who you feel very comfortable with and align yourself with at your school applied to last year, right? Those are all ways to get an idea about where to start looking um, and, and researching colleges and universities to develop a really robust list. Um, and, and at that point, you can work with your counselor, or if you don't have an Ivy Wise counselor, hopefully your school counselor or your parents um, or somebody who can help you um, get a sense of uh, where those schools fall um, in, in terms of selectivity. And, uh, um, you know, at Ivy Wise, we have quite a bit of data that helps with that. Um, your schools often have some data as well. Uh, in a Naviance system, for example, you can look at um, the, the GPAs of students who were admitted to schools X, Y, and Z, what their testing might have been, you know, just data points on a graph. 
Um, so there are a lot of ways to sort of get an idea of where uh, you fall in, uh, for a particular school. Um, but maybe, Nat, can you talk just a little bit about some of those um, data points and metrics that IvyWise can uh, 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 direct students to or use to help develop that list? Yeah, so I think everything you talked about is so important, and I'm, I'm so glad that we're, we're kind of bringing that more up to, to the surface. I think that next level, um, and I, I often feel like a broken record, but one of the things that we can do and, um, and, and, and perhaps the most important thing is um, it's your application strategy. And what I mean by this is when you apply and where you apply, um, because it's not, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to apply to Tulane. I have a, a 1450 and a 3.8 GPA. I'm going to apply to Tulane. Um, and then you can't just say, okay, Tulane is, uh, is going to be a likely for me, right? Um, or Tulane is a target for me or Tulane is a, you know, a reach for me. I think it really depends on if Tulane is ED, if Tulane is EA, if Tulane is regular decision. I'm just using Tulane as a, as a great example, but um, that's the difference from, you know, if, if we have parents that are listening in um, that maybe went to college, you know, in the 90s, right? Like it, it was more... It was more of a definite, okay, like these are our ranges, but now with, with enrollment, you know, uh, pressures and enrollment management, you know, um, schools are using EA and ED um, to enroll the class in a, in, a, in, in a way that helps their metrics, right? And so someone with above profile numbers in EA in the past, that might've been, you know, Tulane might've been a likely for them, but this year, I think Tulane's acceptance rate in early action was, was 10% at most. And so they were using EA really to kind of just draw up application numbers and not really to enroll a class with, with kind of kids with above, you know, profile metrics. And so that's a really, that, that's what a lot of people are missing um, is that it's not just about your metrics, like your test scores or your GPA or your extracurriculars. It, it's really about when you're going to use those metrics because something that can be a likely um, in one round, like let's say early decision, it can absolutely be a reach in a different round, right? If you're in regular decision. And so th those are the conversations that I have with my students, with my families is, you know, it's not just a, a flat categorization, but it's more, you have to add the context to when you're going to apply for us to really, really understand how to categorize it. Yeah, great points there. And, and all of that in the context of what an individual student's academic record is, mm -hmm. and, and then the strength of that personal application as well. Um, uh, so, you know, there, there are schools for, uh, for whom, uh, you know, for a particular student, um, you know, there, there might be a reach for one student and a likely for another if their academic records are significantly different, the program they've taken, how well they've performed. Um, and so all of those things kind of come together to help a counselor really inform a family and, and a student about what schools seem uh, uh, possible for them. And, and, and your point about an application strategy is, is a really, really important one. Um, because that's really how you have to approach the college admission process these days. Um, you can't just say, I love liberal arts colleges. I'm going to apply to these 10 and I've got competitive numbers for most of them. Let's see what happens. 
um, because what might happen is a lot of waitlist decisions right. and a lot of hand wringing and a lot of angst waiting to see what might happen. Um, and so really an application strategy um, is, is a big part of, of developing that list. It's important to have a, a, a good list. It's important to have a list of, you know, eight, 10, 12 schools that you can apply to. Um, but as you work with your Ivy Wise counselor, um, we're going to really try to help you find that early choice um, and help you land on that place. And um, uh, a point that I, I think is important to make is, um, again, going back to students applying to schools, they're excited about. Um, it's okay to look at a school, look at your data, look at your, your metrics, your academic achievement, your measurable academic achievement, as it were, and, and, and compare that to what's the students that are being admitted to a particular school and say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm very, very competitive here. Um, and maybe I'd be competitive at another school that's more selective. Hey, if that's the school you want to go to, right, if that's the school that has what you want, if that's the one that gets you excited, I also think it's important for students to feel the, the freedom to apply to the school that they want to apply to and not feel that this is a race to get into the best school that they can get into. Um, and there is an element of that in the college admission process, and it's undeniable to want to go to a really good school and get a really good education and have a really good experience and, and be able to sell you, tell people this is where I went and for people to say, oh, that's great. Right? That's, you know, that's great. That's 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 really good for you. Um, but uh, I, uh, I also, you know, really want students to feel the freedom to apply to the school that they love the most, even if it's not the most selective one on their list. Yeah, it's so true. And, and you're bringing up some kind of the, the natural instincts um, that come up in, in list building where it's natural for families and for students to put a hierarchy on schools, right? Where you end up attending or you want to, you aspire to go to one of your reach schools. Um, and then it's naturally assumed that, oh, it's a likely school. So I don't want to go as much, right? I shouldn't want to go as much. I think it's such a great point, Chris, to, to, to try to try to move away from that, right? And it's something that you were saying before and like really finding and, and feeling the vibe um, and, and really not looking at, oh, as a reach school should be necessarily your first choice. Gosh, isn't it such an amazing gift if you fall in love with the school where you are, where it's a target or a likely and you, you, you apply early decision and, and, and be done with the process. Like that is awesome, right? And I wish more times um, in my experience that, you know, where I'm working with students who are, you know, where their first choice is a school that's not an out of reach or a reach, right? It, it could be a target or a likely because that's, that would be really amazing. That takes a lot of the stress that we've kind of created for ourselves within this process, right? And it's only human nature. I, I totally understand it. Not judging. I, I mean, I'm, um, I, I see it. I've, I've seen it for so, so many years, but um, wonderful, wonderful points, Chris. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, so we, we've talked a little bit about, um, you know, the, what schools are dealing with and the status, um, you know, on college admission committees about uh, a variety of things. Um, and, and that's led us to this idea of, of a list. And again, this is where Ivy Wise can really help you generate that list, research that list. Um, and, uh, uh, and then once, you know, a student has kind of identified those top schools to create that application strategy, which will likely, well, it will certainly include advice about an early application somewhere. Uh, again, that's always the student's decision to make. 
Um, and you can have a very successful regular decision search as well. And I don't want to make people feel like the only avenue to a great college experience is finding an early option and being done in December. And there are wonderful things about being done with your college search in December. Um, I have two children, one a college graduate, one a current senior. One was an early decision candidate. One was a regular decision candidate. They both ended up at places they like a lot. Uh, they're both having or had really good experiences. Um, but it was a very different process uh, as it unfolded, even just around the house uh, to be, you know, getting to April and and waiting for a number of decisions to come in and then, uh, you know, kind of redoing the college search process. Right. So you apply to 10 schools in regular, you're admitted to six um, and uh, now you need to go through the process of re-researching and visiting and making your determination of amongst those six, what's going to be the school for you. Um, so you can have a great regular decision outcome, but it does uh, take longer, obviously, and is um, uh, you know a little bit more stressful uh, uh, down the road. And so this idea of application strategy and when you apply and yep. what that means about a, a school's your likelihood of admission to a particular school is an important is an important one. And uh, again, also remember that it's the individual student's record in in conjunction with the selectivity, the overall selectivity of a school that will determine for that student um, where it falls uh, uh, on, on the spectrum. And um, uh, again, that's where I think the IBYS team is helpful. And it's also important to recognize the personal side of the application in that. And, and um, this is another area where uh, I found um, being able to work with my colleagues in the roundtable process uh, is really, really invaluable. Um, I think I'm pretty good at this. I, I've been around a little bit, right? Um, but uh, to be able to talk to colleagues and get their input on the, the validity of a college list, how good a particular essay is, what this group of extracurriculars look like, what a student might want to do moving forward, the research opportunities, the research that Ivy Wise can provide uh, its clients to expand a student's um, uh, realm a little bit, to expand either what they're, the, the number of things they're doing or to really increase the depth and the intensity of the activities they're already involved in um, uh, are really important parts of a college application as well. Uh, and so it's also, it's, it is more than just, here are my scores, here are my grades, here's what it says on their website, but also that fit. Um, and that's something that the student is looking for with the college. And that's something that the college is looking for with the student. Uh, and uh, I think that again, having you know the advice of my colleagues in this process has really helped counselees find uh, that, that, that kind of sweet spot of, of uh, you know, here's my academic case and here's my personal case. And together it adds up into this great offer of admission from a school that I'm really excited about. Yeah, I know these are great points as well. And I think that, um, you know, we've, we've only touched upon some of the nuance in, in what makes creating a list a little bit more tricky compared to in years past. Um, some of the other factors, right, that, that we didn't go into is, you know, the school group. You know, I remember being at NYU and, and receiving, you know, 60 or 70 applications from, from various schools, like all at one time. And so that is different um, when, you know, when you're comparing to, you know, a school that might only send you five. Um, and it's not that there's, you know, you can only take a few from each school, but that would be another factor, right? That we didn't, you know, there's, this wasn't meant to be a comprehensive conversation about all the different factors, but we wanted to at least highlight some of the factors 
I hope one of the takeaways from our conversation for our listeners is that to, you know, is to not necessarily, um, well, is to add a, that additional layer of, okay, you can still have reach target likely lists, but then add that next layer um, where it's, uh, is it a reach in early action or early decision, right? Add, add the application plan to that list so that you can then at least, um, you know, acknowledge that that's a changing dynamic. It's a changing spectrum based on when you apply. So that's a, that's a really important takeaway that we hope that the listeners, and we want to make very clear for the listeners. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we, we've covered a lot of ground here. I think we've, we've really um, hopefully given some people some, some things to think about and, and uh, some questions to ask uh, uh, the, the people that they're working with and their otherwise counselors um, about, about how to generate this list. Um, you know, it's a complicated process. It's a competitive process. Uh, and um, as with anything, the, the more information you have, uh, the better a decision you're going to make, the better strategy you're going to be able to adopt. And so we encourage people to delve into um, the, the, the resources that IBWISE has to offer and um, also uh, to think broadly about, um, uh, about colleges and universities and understand the range of schools and the possibilities for them that are out there. Um, you know, I, I, I used to open my information sessions at Wesleyan by talking to people about how many great schools there are across the country. And I got a lot of very perplexed looks about that, right? You know, why is this guy telling us there are other really good schools out there, right? Well, part of it is, um, you know, expectations for being admitted to, to, to institutions uh, of varying degrees of selectivity. What else might we uh, want to chat about, Nat, before we let our listeners go? Any other thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that we can't ever over highlight the importance of application strategy, right? I think that Oftentimes when we talk about like, oh, like, you know, admission, getting admissions help, you, you talk about like, oh, my essay was really good and my activities were really good. And, and even now when application pools are larger than they have been in the past, um, there, there tends to be more what some people refer to as like committee-based evaluation, right? Where yeah. it's the triage, then no one talks about the triage before the holistic review. Right. So your essays and your well, your essays are, 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 will get read, but your activities and your and, and other things, uh, some of the other soft factors, they're, they're not as as meaningful if your hard factors like your numbers aren't quite there at not. I'm not going to say at every place, but at most places. And so that even puts more emphasis on the importance of of application you know, your application planning, your flow yeah. chart, like where are you going to apply? Right. And so that, that can't be overemphasized and the importance of that. Yeah, that's um, a really fair point. Um, I think because it's the demographics of a, of a student as well. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to factor in and yeah. uh, you know, most of our, I, I think that most of our listeners and most of our clients, um, you know, do have the ability to pay for college education and that's a that's one important factor uh, right. at a lot of schools. Schools that at most schools, that's right. Yeah, that's a great difference point, Chris. Between applying for financial aid and not um, applying for financial aid at a particular institution, if a, if a school is need blind and has enough resources on hand to fund all of the students that they want to admit, right. um, then applying for financial aid is less of a factor than if the school right. is need aware. And these are all questions you can ask straight out of colleges and institutions, and also obviously. Um, something that Ivy Wise folks have a great handle on. 
Yeah. And then another thing that we're not talking about is like this other layer of financial um, accessibility, right? So at, yes, true. At most of the highly selective, most selective places, financial aid, you know, ends up being very, very good. Um, and, and, you know, with very little loan, if any loan, but at the majority of the schools in our country, um, there's just still only a small percentage of schools that meet 100% of need. And so perhaps getting into a reach, you might not get in, you might not get as helpful of a financial aid package as if you were getting into a school where you're above profile. But that's another layer that we just want to acknowledge we're not, we're not going to be able to cover today. Um, but, you know, please, you know, keep, keep an eye out for, for topics like this and, keep, you know, definitely look out, you know, and I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Chris kind of bring us out. But, you know, I, I definitely want to give a plug for all of the, the resources that we have on our website, too, that, um, that will give all listeners um, some knowledge base. Yeah, um, again, you know, whether you choose to, to, to go with Ivy Wise or not, um, you know, we wish you the best of luck in this process. And um, we know we know how challenging it can be. Um, and uh, uh, I, one of the things that I, I do like to uh, you know kind of leave people with um, is, you know, if you if you put some time and energy into this and you pay attention to what you're doing, you're going to have a successful college search, right? You're going to find a, a place to go that you can be excited about. It you know may not be your top choice, it may not be your early choice, um, but uh, put in the time, put in the work. Uh, and you will um, end up with a with an option or two that you can be really, really happy with and really, really excited about. Um, and, you know, it's also about what you do with it when you get there. Um, and that's a that's a really important factor that doesn't have much to do with the college admission process. Um, but again, as a parent, as somebody who has you know, seen countless students go through uh, through college, um, what you do with the resources that are available to you is probably more important than the sticker in the back of your car window at the end of the day, um, in terms of the quality of that experience and what you do with it at the end, uh, which again brings us back to this, this notion of fit, which I think we've talked about a little bit today. So Nat, I wanna really thank you for your time. I really appreciate your insights and your experience. Um, and uh, I think, uh, I, I hope that people are able to take away a few data points, a few comments from this, a few nuggets or kernels of helpful information. Um, uh, that you know pretty much just wraps up uh, this episode, um, and we want to thank you all for tuning in to Just Admit It. You can catch up on all of our previous po- episodes by visiting our podcast page, and also we really encourage you to bookmark our knowledge base page for additional help with navigating, again, this very complex and competitive admission landscape. Um, uh, we have more uh, podcasts coming up in our next episode. Uh, we're going to share advice on how high school students can develop executive functioning skills and practice self-care during the college application process. So if you have questions about stress management, email them to us at podcast at ivywise.com and we'll do our best to address those really pressing questions up front in, in, in that upcoming episode. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for more higher ed resources. Matt, thanks so much. And thanks to all of our listeners. I hope everybody has a great day.